0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, June the 26th, 2023. It is currently 2.37 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where I'm thinking about auto Tune. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about Auto-Tune. Are you familiar with Auto-Tune? Now, some of you that are younger, you probably are very familiar with Auto-Tune. Maybe around middle age, I'm assuming you know Auto-Tune. Maybe those who are older, you have no clue what Auto-Tune is. You don't know what it is. You have no clue. You may not even be interested in what Auto-Tune is. But for the sake of this broadcast... I have to tell you about AutoTune. I have to explain what it is. So are you ready? AutoTune is an audio processor introduced in 1997, right? And what it does is it uses, well, let me, let me, oh, we'll go back. Basically, it fixes, here it is. I'll, I'll, I'll I was going to go through some of the history, but it's, a, it's an audio processor introduced in 1997. I was going to go through some of the things it does and some of the dates. Its initial release date was September the 19th, 1997. It's, uh, so, yeah. And we could go through some of the updates and some of the things here. Here we go. Share. Yes. Someone knows the first time they heard of AutoTune from Cher. Very good. All right. But before we go down that path, here's how it works. AutoTune is a voice processing app that uses algorithmic technology to automatically correct and enhance the pitch of a singer's voice. This allows for a more accurate and expressive performance and has become a popular tool for recording artists and music producers. All right. That's the definition I thought I had set up, but I have the history. I have everything about AutoTune right here on my iPad. So choosing which part of that information to give you, there you go. Main thing you need to realize you may want to know the year 1997. The exact date was September the 19th, 1997. Just, you know, in case there's a, a quiz on this or you're watching Jeopardy. That's when Auto-Tune was introduced. Um, it works. It's a algorithm, algorithmic uh, technology to automatically correct and enhance the pitch of a singer's voice. Meaning that with Auto-Tune, you're never off pitch. Meaning with auto tune, you're the perfect singer. There's no blemishes. There's no problems. There's no, you're, you're not, you're not off pitch in any way, shape or form. You're, you are, you're not flat. You're not, you're, you're, you're perfect. You're perfect because of auto tune, auto tune because of this app corrects and enhances the pitch. It makes it exactly what they want it to be. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? Now, here's the question. When you think of auto-tune, how should it be used? Should it be used when it comes to worship? Auto-tune and worship. Is auto-tune the wonderful device that truly covers the multitude of sins. Is auto-tune the device that the church has needed because all the sins that may occur in worship, and obviously referring to worship primarily as music in this situation, it corrects it. It fixes it. And is that really an allegory of something deeper. The reason I'm reading this, the reason I'm asking this question is because on June the 23rd, June the 23rd, churchleaders.com published the following article. For church worship, this is very important, all right? For church worship teams, Auto-tune covers a multitude of sins, especially online. For church worship teams, Auto-tune covers a multitude of sins, especially online. Now, what, d- does that does that even get an emotional reaction from you? Do you? Does that make you stop and go, wait, Auto-tune, a worship team, and an auto do you say well it's just technology it's perfectly okay it's perfectly okay it's going to make sure that everything is sung on pitch it's going to make sure everything sounds perfect because we want to glorify god in what we do right so we're going to use whatever device that we have to make us sing and do things in a way that would be more pleasing to god is that is that would that be the justification or does that feel just like well if you're overproducing your worship Does it become worship or is it just performance? When does worship cross the line to becoming nothing more than mere performance? And are you able to detect where that line is? Now, let's read a little bit about this and and try to see. I'm obviously going to use this more for a as as a symbol or or an allegory symbolism i'm going i'm going to try to get this past what it's actually talking about to something deeper all right? according to the prophet isaiah grass withers the flower fades but god word god's words endure forever okay all right, well, someone just said in chat that there's an eerie feeling to it like AI giving a sermon. Yeah, they're, 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 I I feel the same thing, but let me go back to the article. According to the prophet Isaiah, grass withers, flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. In the age of social media, so do, so do the mistakes of church musicians. Play the wrong chord, forget the words to a song or sing an off note and a worship leader or singer may find themselves featured in Facebook videos or Instagram accounts like worship fails for years. All right. Now, you, have you seen those accounts? I've seen those accounts where it's worship fails, th- things things people do wrong in worship and the, they, they will... Th- you know, show the video clip and everyone underneath it laughs. They have a fun, wonderful time. They're like, oh, this is so embarrassing. But do we ever stop to think that those are real human beings who are just trying to worship God or preach a sermon or, or sing a song? Do we, does social media and and video on social media, does it dehumanize the people we're looking at? So because we're so worried now that people will take those mistakes, clip it out, and then place it on social media, putting you on full blast so that you're humiliated and embarrassed. What is the solution? Is The solution is auto-tune to ensure that we never sing the wrong note. Let's go back to the article. As a result of this reality... A worship and creative pastor at Mancton Wesleyan Church in Moncton, M-O-N-C-T-O-N, New Brunswick, Canada, Uh, churches like his have paid more attention to how their music sounds online, and that includes using autotune or other pitch-correcting software. Widely used in the recording industry to smooth out the rough edges of vocalists, Pitch correction has become fairly common in congregations. The pitch correcting process feeds the sound sung into a microphone and to a processor that aligns the singer's pitches with pure version of the note. In worship context, pitch correction makes it easier for less talented or less rehearsed singers to still help lead congregational singing. If they still make small mistakes, they can be corrected easily. Churches also are more aware of hitting uh, churches are also more aware of hitting the right note because their services are going out on live streams. People attending a service in person often have a better experience. The congregation singing resounds in the actual church building. Those at home only hear what's going into the microphones and coming out of their computer speakers. A 2023 study of online worship from Pew Research found that while remote worshipers rate online sermons and sermons they hear, and uh, hang on, let me read this again. A 2023 study of online worship from Pew Research found that while remote worshipers rate online sermons and sermons they hear in person about the same, there's a drop-off when it comes to the music. 69% of those surveyed said they were extremely satisfied or very satisfied with music at in-person services. That dropped to 54% of those who attend online. A former megachurch audio engineer who now works in marketing compared it to spell check for singers or the kind of bumpers used to help kids learn how to bowl. You still need to try and throw a strike, he said, but the bumpers help you from going into the gutter. COVID 19 also promoted the use of auto tune because many church musicians found themselves suddenly in charge of producing services to be streamed online. This meant getting up to speed with the latest technology, such as pitch tuning, which has become increasingly affordable for churches. Uh, uh, this one person, this former, this audio engineer said um, he first became aware of auto tune. Uh, uh, that was introduced in 1997 while working more than a decade ago as an engineer at Bethel Church in Redding, California, home to some of the most popular worship music used in congregations. A group of musicians from another church singing at Bethel, he recalled, insisted that the church provided pitch correction for its singers during services. So another church comes to Bethel, And they're like, hey, 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 auto correction. We demand it. We insist that you do this for our singers. Now, immediately this to me begins to strip away the curtain and makes you see that church more and more is a production than it is anything else. It's a production production. You've got auto-tune, you've got this going on, you got lighting, you got stage, you got marks on the stage where to be, you got camera angles, you got multiple cameras switching from this angle to this angle. It's a production. And when church becomes a production, then at some point, when does it stop being church? Now let's see what happens here if they tell more of this story. All right. Um They didn't want people's worship experience—here's their here's their justification—they didn't want people's worship experience to be hampered by a background vocalist who had a cold and couldn't quite hit the notes, or someone who sang a little flat. At the same time, said this audio engineer, he was working on broadcasting services, and the church wanted to make sure it sanded the rough edges before the sound was sent out on the internet. At first, using pitch correction during live services gave him a pause— So at first he was like, I don't know about this. He came around because pitch correction allowed the church more flexibility in choosing singers and worship team members. Say, hey, you want to worship? Well, guess what? Now you don't have to be a good singer. Before we had an audition process. We only wanted to make sure you could pass, you could pass the audition, so that you could be worthy of worshiping God with us. But now you can really stink, but we've got auto tune, so now you can come up here on stage and worship God with us. Does that not feel? I don't know. Don't know. It says, uh, it says, knowing they didn't have to give perfect performances every time. Since the church had multiple services, pitch correction also made it easier for singers to get through a weekend's worth of services, even if they got tired, he said. All right. Now, if we go to the next page here, this individual said, uh, said he is well aware that pitch tuning, which can make singers sound artificial, could backfire if overused. A good auto-tune is something you re- really never notice, he said. It was like, it wasn't like we were trying to make someone be more talented than they actually are. All right. Travis Ham, worship pastor at Bear Creek Bible Church near Fort Worth, said he was skeptical about using tuning tools for worship bands, such as an ear click track, which helped musicians keep time during songs. He almost felt like cheating, said Ham, who studied music at University of North Texas. Ham said he adopted a click track after working with a volunteer drummer who had a tendency to speed up whenever the music got loud, a not uncommon occurrence. Using a click track solved the problem and made the whole group play tighter. That success opened his mind about pitch tuning. The tools help regular people who want to serve God, he said. As part of the church's worship team, not everyone is convinced that using pitch tuning is a good idea. Uh, A a longtime church musician who's now an artist and resident at Baylor University worries that pitch tuning is one more sign that church musicians are trying to aspire to be performers rather than leading people in worship. Now, I believe this has been going on for, I think the church has been performance-based For a very, way before auto-tune, way before 1997, I think church services are, have always been designed to be a little bit of performance. And I've always tried to condemn that, but it's just true. You, in certain parts of the South, I don't know what it's like up North, but in the South, you'll do like, they call it the fifth Sunday sing. The fifth Sunday singing and all these churches will get together and people from the congregation then will sing. And you can't, you, you just watch the people who are performing. They're worried about how it sounds. They're worried about this. They, it's a, they, as much as they may, they may have pure motives, they know they're about to stand in front of someone and sing and they're worried about how it sounds. They're worried about how it came across. Just like I worry about podcasting. Right? I don't want my podcast to be a performance, but there's very much like, oh, like already here in my mind, I'm like, well, I kind of read that. I messed up that at the beginning. I was going to read that definition of auto-tune, but I actually read kind of the historical background and then I had to stop myself. And then just, like, I'm already critiquing what I did, meaning I'm viewing it more as a performance than as trying to just communicate truths to get Christians to think. Am I trying to communicate truths or am I trying to do a performance? So there is, it's always been a little bit, there's always been that. Anytime anyone sings a special in church, they immediately are worried about how it sounds. Did it sound okay? Because it's a reflection of, even though they want to say, no, no, no. I'm worried about how it reflects on God. We can't hide our motives. When I'm done preaching a sermon, Yes. Do I want to know that people learned something? Yes. Do I, do I want to know that it was good? Yes, I do. But there, b- because I do want to make sure that the, it was communicated clearly. But there's a part of me that wants to just know, wow, you preached that really well, because there's, there's that, that sinful nature inside of all of us. So I think there's always been a performance based to it. And as the church has moved forward, it's become more performance based. Come on. I, I talked about the church that I had to speak at for a funeral. I, to this day, it, I, I walked in there and it felt like, why is there mood lighting? Like it was all the lights were down and it, it, it felt like I was like in a club. It's like, why, why is this? Why? And, and some people love it. It creates an atmosphere, but to me, it doesn't feel like an atmosphere of church. It feels like an atmosphere of a club or a concert hall. It doesn't feel like a church. And I talked about when I got on stage and when the spotlight hit me, I'm like, what in the world? I can't see the people. Like I'm supposed to be preaching to the people and I can't see anyone because the spotlight's in my face. I'm like, this is nuts. So, so even the, the whole way the churches are designed and, 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 and then of course you have the whole, the praise band up there. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's like to me, the praise band becomes, and some churches they kind of have the praise band back, right? Others bring them up front, almost like they're performing a concert. And it's like, where where do you cross the line? When it does, when does it become a performance? So I, I don't know. He, uh, he says he feels that this is a, this one person feels like it's a sign that musicians are trying to aspire to be performers rather than leading people in worship. Look, I know churches see it more as a performance. I've talked about it before. The person I worked with in the United States military, he got hired by a local church. They paid him, I think, $200 a Sunday to play drums. He was an atheist. He wasn't a Christian. He's in the praise and worship band playing drums. He wasn't even saved. And he got kicked out of the military for drug use. But hey, he played in the praise band at the church not far from my house. And I, I know, I know someone else who went to that church who was in the praise team and they, they were, they were upset because the church wouldn't get them the guitar they wanted, which was like, I don't know, $30,000, some crazy amount because they wanted a new upgrade in their instrument. And it's like, what is this church doing? They're paying lost people to play in the praise and worship band. And and, and then the, the, those people are trying to get better instruments. It's like, what is happening? So, um. He goes on to say this individual, he spent years using all the latest tools to conjure one emotional experience after another. Please note that. Here's someone who used to be involved in it saying that he used every tool he could to conjure an emotional experience. always looking for the next big thing or trying to emulate popular mega church worship bands. Then he gave up. Where does it end, he said. Uh, someone else who, re- or, uh, who records what he calls liturgical folk music says he scaled back to a simpler approach. Being authentic, he said, means embracing imperfection. All right? Someone else, an assistant professor of worship studies at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, has similar concerns about worship leaders trying to trying to be something they are not. He worries that churches will become karaoke franchise of megachurches. The more you can do to sound not like yourself and more like a recording has been a long contemporary worship issue. In his classes, he said that he teaches his students about the latest technology and tries to inspire them to lead their churches to a more authentic style of worship, one that comes naturally from their churches rather than emulating someone else. He also warns them about romanticizing the past, saying that we, that there were problems even when people sang hymns without pitch correction or the latest technology. People sang too loud or too off-key or too fast and probably could have used a little help. Well, Maybe. We're constantly trying to do this better, he said. And that ends the article. Now, I don't know where you feel in all of this. I This is a, a couple of my thoughts, and I'm going to kind of use some of this more to be more of an allegory. Trying to perfect the singer's voice, trying to perfect the drums with a click track so ensure that they all the band is playing tighter and no one's getting out of rhythm everyone's staying together in timing is to try to create an atmosphere where everything sounds perfect and looks perfect for the purpose of trying to create an emotional response which to me turns worship into to a performance that is designed to manipulate instead of edifying or leading people to put their focus up on things above rather than things on earth. People are focused on a performance and they're being manipulated by it. And I believe none of that belongs in church. It should not be emotional manipulation and whatever form it comes in. So I think that this creates an atmosphere we, we want an artificial perfection. Listen to this. An art, an artificial perfection where the, the, Perfection is artificial; it's it's created, and that basically auto tune is covering all of that imperfection. Something artificial is covering the imperfection, so it's not real; it's not organic; it's manufactured. It's manufactured artificial perfection in order to get people to see to basically experience a performance that will emotionally manipulate them. That is, if that's not that, cannot be church. But I started thinking about it and, and, and leaving the whole argument about music aside. How much of church is ever truly authentic? We may not be using auto-tune, but how much of the church is an artificial pretend Perfection where we all pretend to be more godly, more holy, more righteous than we are, and we cover it up in some kind of auto-tune. We can call it fig leaves. We can call it robes of self-righteousness. We dress ourselves up so we have some semblance of perfection, of godliness and holiness, and we cannot really be ourselves. And isn't church... The one place where imperfection should be able to be seen, heard, and expressed so that we can then be confronted with the glorious gospel which forgives and cleanses and the imputed righteousness which is our only hope. And isn't everyone seeing that imperfection? Then we're challenged about love covers a multitude of sins rather than auto tune. Isn't the desire to perfect the performance of worship in order to manipulate, isn't that simply symbolic? Isn't it simply a good allegory of what's taking place in the pews where everyone artificially covers themselves in some level of looking holy and godly, which doesn't really demonstrate the reality. And we cover it up with our own form of auto-tune. Everyone sounds good, everyone looks good, everyone looks happy, everyone is smiling, everything is supposed to be great, when in reality everything is crumbling and falling apart. But we put on the facade of righteousness and that everything is good. We pretend, and then we become self-righteous in that pretending. We become manipulated by our own pretending. We become manipulated by our own facade and everything from the, from the platform to the pew is performance art. And if we remove the performance, we would see broken, sinful, messed up people who all need the gospel of Christ. And our job is to try to love those messed up, broken people because love covers a multitude of sins. Not excusing sin, but what's more genuine? And I don't know how to get the genuine present. I don't know how to make that happen. But auto-tune in worship just seems great. And and someone in the comments section brought brought up AI. Like, when when is it just going like where where's the pastor's auto tune? Right? Like I, I wish I I wish I had auto-tune for my sermons. I wish I had auto-tune for my podcast. Wouldn't it be great? But do we really want auto-tuned worship singers and auto-tuned or AI, auto-tuned worship singers, AI pastors? with AI written sermons so that everything looks perfect and great and there's no mistakes in everything. But you know what? No matter how much you auto-tune the worship singers, no matter how much you AI the sermons, everyone in that pew are broken, sinful people whose lives are riddled with mistakes and sin and failure. And there's got to be a place somewhere in church for broken, messed up people to find grace and not simply be the recipients of a performance that's all perfected by auto-tune, click tracks, and AI. What that looks like, I don't know, but the future is going to be interesting to see how this new technology continues to impact the church. Love to get your thoughts on all of this. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, that's newsif at yahoo.com, and as you have heard, this podcast is not produced by AI. No autotune is involved, just a real sinful person who sometimes stumbles over his, his words and trying to communicate these truths about Christianity. Some people prefer the AI, the auto-tune. There's got to be a place within Christianity for the real. And we got to stop wanting performance. We should want worship. We got to stop wanting emotional manipulation and true digging into the word of God. Something for you to consider. Thanks for listening. God bless.